Hi, and welcome back to the Mindful Sport Performance Podcast. I'm Dr. Keith Kaufman. And I'm Dr. Tim Pineau. Uh, and today we have with us Dr. Michael Gerson. Uh, Dr. Michael Gerson is currently a full-time faculty assistant professor at National University, where he teaches sports psychology and contemplative courses in the JFK School of Sports Psychology Graduate School Programs. Outside of his work in academia, Dr. Gerson is the Director of Mental Skills at Mission 6-0, a tribe of performance experts that merge special operations forces veterans with behavioral science practitioners and researchers. And he recently co-authored a best-selling book titled Deliberate Discomfort, How U.S. Special Operations Forces Overcome Fear and Dare to Win by Getting Comfortable Being Uncomfortable. In addition to his work with soldiers in a wide range of specialties, Dr. Gerson also has extensive experience working with athletes and other performers. He's the CEO and owner of Mind Gears Performance Coaching, a high-performance consulting business focused on helping people, teams, and organizations improve their performance and overall well-being. He was also the mental skills director of the Seattle Mariners from 2014 to 2017, and he has his own rich experience as an athlete. As an all-American shortstop, going on to play baseball in eight foreign countries, and he's coached baseball at almost every level, from youth athletes to international players. Dr. Gerson, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. Uh, I'd really like to start off with uh, just not only thanking uh, you, Tim and Keith, but also Carol. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> it's just so on top of emails. Any questions I have, with that whole <laughs> uh, she's just so efficient and is always dropping pearls of wisdom. So thank you, Car uh, Carol, as well. Um, and then I'd just like to say hello to, the, to anybody who might be participating and listening today. As uh, Sharon Salzberg would say, may you be safe, may you be happy, and may your life unfold with ease. Um, and I hope, you know, that you uh, find, you know, something that you can grab and take a hold of and incorporate into uh, the wonderful things that you're already doing in your life. So thank you. Mm, what a warm message for everybody. Thank you. Thank you for that. And thank you for being willing to, to share with us a, a brief meditation practice to, to kick off our interview today. Yeah, I'm excited. This is actually, I mean, I've tweaked it a little bit, but this comes from uh, the students that I just recently taught, uh, Mindful Approaches to Performance A, which I'm happy to uh, say and share with everybody that uh, we're now using uh, more evidence-based practice as that has, has been one of my goals. And we're mm -hmm. using the Mindfulness Work Performance Enhancement textbook that you guys brilliantly uh, co-authored with uh, Dr. Carol Glass. So. Yeah. Um, I can't wait to get into it. Yeah. So, all right. <clears throat> so if I, first of all, um, I realize there might be a lot of experienced meditators in this virtual space today. So uh, what I usually do, instead of dictating what you should be doing, um, just do what you normally do to get ready, to get focused, and create the conditions for stillness. And I'll give you about 50 seconds, 15 seconds, excuse me, to about 20 to get settled. Uh, and if you're new to meditation and you don't know what to do, uh, may I suggest just a little light stretching, you know, get the kinks out, or I like to shake off uh, the dust that is built up in that busy energy. Uh, you can say, you know, prayer of gratitude or just perform a quick body scan. Just do you and be you. 
Hopefully your mind has quieted somewhat, your body's a little bit more relaxed, and your entire being is becoming more grounded, centered, and at peace. Let's go ahead and sit up straight, unclench your jaw, relax your shoulders, maybe unlock your chest. Take a few normal breaths, just sweep the mind. In through the nose and out your mouth, or I always like to say pursed lips, Just nice and slow, quiet, rhythmic. Let the mind follow the breath instead of the breath following the mind. Let's make a conscious effort right now to just let go of the just before, to put down the just after, and enter the right now, stepping into that healing, quiet space, that transformative space where we can meet ourselves, breathe, and just be. Nowhere to go, nowhere to be, just right here. Let yourself feel the next three in and out breaths. And as you sense each breath, let the mind calm and the body relax. As you breathe in, Maybe just say the words, breathe in or in. And as you breathe out through their mouth, breathe out or out. Pair the breath with the words. Experience even more relaxation. Be present with each moment of your breath. And if your mind wanders away, which it will, simply notice without judging or criticizing. Just come back, simply come back to your breath. Make no effort to change your breathing. Simply notice how your body and breath breathe naturally.
let's pay close attention to what's happening in and around your body. Notice any physical sensations that are emerging or falling away. First, turn your attention towards your sense of sound. See if you can notice what sounds you are hearing outside of your immediate surroundings. Maybe a distant plane, a car going by, a bird. Whatever it is, connect to that sound. Now bring your attention to what you're hearing in your immediate surroundings. Perhaps the hum of an air conditioner, the ticking of a clock, whatever it might be, go ahead and pick up on that sound. Finally, bring your attention even closer to the sounds of your body, what your breath sounds like coming in to your nose and leaving out your mouth. Right now, we're just noticing sounds around us and close to us and experiencing them as they come and go. Now gently direct your attention back to your breath. Take a moment and allow yourself to take a few slow and deep breaths. Take a little bit of time to savor the quietness and stillness of your mind. Just gonna count from one to 10. One, two, Three, smiling and breathing. Four, five, six, feeling the connection and contact between your body and the chair or the floor. Seven, wiggling your toes. Eight, moving your fingers. 
nine, maybe just gently moving your neck, your head, your shoulders, your arms, and 10, opening your eyes, smiling, taking in the room. Thank you. Thank you for leading that, Michael. Yeah, and you're welcome. Job well done, students. Yes, hats off. <laughs> hats off to your students. Yeah. So I'm so. curious, you uh, you mentioned you, you did this in collaboration with them. And when you mentioned to us before our recording that this is what you plan to do and what you did, we, we were thrilled with this idea. So can you just share a little bit about that collaborative process with them and yeah. kind of why, I mean, I loved this practice. It was great. And, and why, they, why they chose these features to uh, practice today. Yeah. Uh, just first, before I get into that, I, I'd just like a, a thank you to uh, Ryan Teagan and Samantha Poshul and Abby Sokol and Roy Santiago. Uh, just appreciate the help. Mm. And uh, yeah, I think, um, you know, one of the few areas that I'm gifted is just uh, spur of the moment, creativity and innovation. <laughs> and so, or just manipulating my students and letting them do the work for me, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, but uh, so I designed uh, two four-week courses, Mindful Approaches to Performance A and Mindful Approaches to Performance B. These are one credit, one credit, one unit courses. Um, and uh, usually in, in the beginning, I used to meet with them two out of the four uh, for live classes. Now, um, you know, they love it so much. I love it so much. And as you guys know, um, a lot of what we do in the meditation space is experiential. Yeah. Um, and so now I meet with them four, four times, all four times. And uh, it was the fourth time that we met. Um, this was actually an optional. So we do two, you know, mandatory, you need to be there, two optional. Most everybody was there. Um, and I try to teach it almost like a, like a group supervision or that I'm working with a team in that I really pay attention to uh, the sense of camaraderie, the collective personality, uh, you know, what they're thriving in when it comes to, you know, the work that we're doing and where they're falling short. And so in the beginning, what we do is uh, we co-create the course with them. And I think this is uber important because as you guys know, when you are uh, on Zoom, there's so many distractions. You know, there's the phone, you can be checking scores, you can have the TV on, you can, I don't know, maybe they're playing video games, you know, as they're taking my courses, I hope they're not. Um, but there's just a lot of temptations. And so uh, as a professor, uh, I was trying to figure out like, how do I get them super engaged? How do I get them wanting to be there, turning away from all the electronics and um, you know, joining and entering the space, you know, together. And so what I do is I co-create an agenda with them all. We throw stuff on the whiteboard or blackboard, and then I throw some things. And then in the moment, I try to create um, the, you know, the lesson plan, like build it, you mm -hmm. know, um, up, up front. 
And so I think that day was they wanted to hear more experiences about my work with the military and with athletes, you know, more concrete examples. Uh, they wanted to get in a little bit of some theory and models. Um, and we're going to do that. Um, and they also wanted to do meditation. <laughs> the beginning meditation and, and the departing meditation. And then I also quickly tried to identify, uh, you know, where are they struggling? And for this particular class, and I, I see this a lot, maybe you guys are experiencing some of the same patterns, is they, nobody wanted to stand up and raise their hand or raise their hand and, um, and read a meditation script. Mm -hmm. I just think there's this real fear, this social comparison, everything you do is videotaped and judged and, you know, put on social media. Um, and so there was a couple, like I try to generate a couple hypotheses, like, is it because I didn't create enough psychological safety? Uh, nah, that's not, I don't think that was the issue. You know, is it, uh, you know, um, they, they're wowed by, you know, what I'm doing. No, that's definitely not the case. Um, and so I quickly uh, latched on to, um, you know, identifying the issue or problem as, you know, they, they, they're not comfortable. And so what can we do, you know, to get them all participating? And so I thought, hey, let's just, let's build a meditation script. And so I gave them 10 to 15 minutes to go hunt, you know, cameras on, um, look at some different meditations. And we broke it up into four segments. Um, each one of them came back uh, and they knocked it out of the park. I mean, I was totally impressed. They were impressed. I think they surprised themselves. Uh, and then we put it together, we wordsmithed it. And then uh, at that point, I kind of knew that because they're a little bit more um, in touch with what we were doing, meditation script, this, that a couple hands would go up and they did. And somebody took us through the, the meditation script. Uh, we shared our experiences, you know, all of the kind of the sh meditation showstoppers and problems and issues that we all, you know, contend with. And then they critiqued Ryan, who, uh, Tegan, who uh, took us through the script. And then that launched us into so many fruitful discussions. Um, you know, everything from what is, a, what is a good meditation script consist of? Uh, what's the framework? So we created uh, a framework for them. And we call it entering, connecting, practicing, and returning. So now they have a system to develop you know, their meditation script. Um, and they're just not as fearful, you know, they just needed that experience. So instead of like asking them flat out, which I could have done, um, like, Hey, I noticed that you, you know, the whole counseling, I noticed that you guys seem <laughs> very reserved when it comes to reading a med what's going on. I, I just didn't feel like that was going to work. So, you know, you create an alternate path. And I, I thought like, I try to create a lot of rich experiences where we're doing things um, almost a lot like what you guys do with MSPE, where, you know, you take us through a meditation. Uh, we talk about it, you know, um, we give a little bit of feedback for the person who's reading it. Um, and it boom launches us into a million and one different kinds of conversations. So for that to happen, you guys have so much uh, depth and wisdom and knowledge and it's, it's kind of like teaching backwards, which is important nowadays. So instead of, instead of standing up and on a lectern and, and pontificating, you know, and then doing something, it's, it's a little, you know, you switch it. You do an activity, an exercise, an icebreaker, 
and then you debrief. And I just feel like that works so much better. Yeah. All right. I know that was uh, that was long. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a great, thank you. I, I think it gives such a rich context to, to how that meditation was developed. And yeah. I think, as you mentioned, I mean, it's, it's very conceptually aligned with how you mentioned uh, how we do things like in our MSP instructor training, right? That, um, which you were a part of. And yeah, I mean, I think we see that all the time in our trainings as well, that when we offer opportunities for people to volunteer, you get the deer in the headlights look, especially early on before people are really comfortable with each other. Um, and, and we try to welcome people to step up by making it experiential. Right. I, I think no, no matter, even ostensibly we're in something like a mindfulness training, which is such a different approach, we all carry with us our narratives. And, and at least my feeling is so much of, of that fear comes from this sort of not good enough syndrome that we're all walking around with. Like, I, I can't lead it. I'm, I'm not good enough or I, I wouldn't do a good enough job. And I really like in your example, Michael, how you know, you really gave them a, a stake in the game, right? That, that let's develop this together. There's no mystery here, right? Let's develop a framework for how we want to construct this and anyone can participate in this and anyone can lead this. And um, it really, I think, um, exemplifies how you can go around some of this, this fear, this automatic assumption of not good enough, I can't, you know, that, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and too, like I hear in that, in your kind of telling of all of that, like the importance of kind of your own attitude, like your own ability to live mindfully, to, 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 to be humble, to, to, to trust these students and their own expertise, even though they are coming to you to be taught, to be like, you know what? I think you have something worthwhile to say about how to create a meditation. So why don't you go look into this and you come back and tell me about what you think is you know, what might make a good meditation. And it, because it's so experiential, because we are really asking people to be curious about their own experiences and really use that as the primary source of their information, not what we say, right? But like, hopefully our, what we say guides them to have an experience that really teaches them something and to just, yeah, I, like you were saying, kind of to, to flip the, the teaching framework on its head and be like, no, 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 no. Like you guys are already bringing something to the table. I trust that. And I'm not going to sit here and kind of like wield my experience or authority, like a cudgel until, you know, like, I just, I really appreciated that in your story. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I love that quote. Uh, it's, it comes from yoga, but uh, the yoga is 99% uh, experiential, 1% theory. And so mm -hmm. as you guys know, uh, this work like you have to put it in their hands, you know, a lot with mental skills as well. Like we have that framework where it's education, you know, and application. Um, but the education piece, a lot of times it's words, it's information. And how do you translate that information cognitively uh, and mentally to, to your hands yeah. um, so that they can apply it, you know, in a real world way. Uh, when the whistle blows. And so in the middle, that bridge is that acquisition piece. And the acquisition piece, those are, you know, all the, the techniques and methods that we have at our disposal to take that information and embody it, um, you know, to put some legs on the words that we're saying and the concepts that we're sharing. Um, so uh, that's one of the things I really love about the work that we do. Um, and, and that is, uh, they, you know, we experience uh, 
you know, what their what our students or clients are experiencing along with them, you know. So uh, I love, uh, you know, sometimes leading, but I think uh, when you have that rhythm and that dance between an audience or participants, it's really where they're leading you. And they're, they have that autonomy and that motivation to take you where they need to go. And so, yeah, you need to be really present and really mindful. And I think from that place, I try to get my students, like from that place, you can tap into so much creativity and so much um, attention. It's, it's you're focused in the moment, but kind of in the background are the codes where you can multiple, uh, you know, you can attend, do some multi-attending and the, all the information is there, you know, and that whiteboard, blackboard workspace is available and you can just pull from it. Um, yeah. Well, it just makes it so much more immediate and relevant, right? It's like, it's one thing to stand up in front of a group of people and explain to them what judgments are and how they function in our lives and stuff like that. Uh, but, but to catch someone who says like, oh, that wasn't a good meditation. I'm like, oh, what did you mean by good meditation, right? Like to, to catch them in the judgment and make it experiential and make it come to life. Uh, and right to your point, right? You need to be kind of aware and kind of tracking and be able to catch those moments. Um, but it, they're going to emerge and you can't plan for them. Really. You can't, you know, script them out like to, to, to allow them to be organic. There's the trust piece again, right? They're like, yeah, we'll, we'll get to the important stuff because the rationale tells us that like, it's our judgments and expectations that kind of create the kind of the fabric of this mental life that we live. And so you can't, you can't have a, have a group discussion without those judgments and expectations revealing themselves in some way. You know, and so just allow that process to happen is such a cool thing to be able to do. And that internal thread, I, I love what mindfulness does. It allows you to spotlight, you know, your thoughts, you know, your emotions and feelings and perspective and attitude and physiological sensations and the things that you do um, without a little bit more, without a little bit uh, more judgment. Um, uh, but you're still tracking it. Because I remember in MSPE, uh, the workshop, when you guys asked, you know, who would like to share a meditation, there was, <laughs> you know, undeniable war happening in between my head, you know? <laughs> and it, there is, like, there's a phony syndrome that's hard to, um, it's hard to squash or quell. I mean, even as you guys read my bio, I like, who are you guys talking about? What oh, is that? You know, still 15 years in the practice and being a, you know, coach and being a teacher and it, it's still there. But what mindfulness allows us to do is to look at that, um, not be embarrassed by it, say hello, tip our hats, bow to it and let it keep moving, keep stepping. Here's the back door. Adios. Yeah. I mean, it strikes me too. I mean, you're, you're talking about, and I agree with you hundred percent, you know, how, how it helps us internally. I think too, like you mentioned at the start, just that kind of social self-consciousness piece and how it helps with group connectivity as well. And just picturing what this experience must've been like if you had some nervous students who had some reservations and then went through this process of creating a meditation together and, and working on it together, delivering it, practicing it together. You know, we see that in MSBE groups. We see that in our instructor training groups when people do start to participate and do start to share and take that plunge, what it does to cohesion and what it does to the, the sort of 
interpersonal connectivity, um, which I think is so huge. Um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, gosh, you know, I guess it's impossible to have like, you know, perfect instructor ratings or whatever. There's always going to be exceptions, but I would imagine like that's going to be an experience your students are never going to forget. I would imagine that that's something that, that will be so different and so meaningful to them. Um, because they participated in their own education and in, in their own learning of mindfulness in such a, a visceral way. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, I, I agree with you. I just, I, I think, um, you know, the, the, both the intrapersonal and the interpersonal elements are so important. And that's, you know, I, I know people like Phil Jackson have talked about that and how he used it with his teams and, and incorporated in George Mumford, of course, and, and how that has such relevant applications to sport. And also, I mean, one of the big things we were hoping to ask you about too is just your work with the military mm -hmm. populations. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if you see that interpersonal piece playing out there as well, or, or um, yeah, can you just talk a little bit about what you do with, with those, those high-performing military populations you work with? Yeah, it was some time ago. I, I haven't worked with the military population since uh, around 2014. Um, but what an incredible population. I mean, just, I was so honored to be able to work with uh, Green Berets and Special Forces, especially uh, at the beginning of a program which started uh, in the late 80s by Dr. Louis Choka, who I consider to be um, the father of military mental skills. And um, uh, he created the, uh, SEP, the Center for Enhanced Performance at West Point. Oh, yeah. Uh, and uh, I was one of the first people hired in 2006 to take that program and implement it to the Army, especially at Fort Bragg with Special Force op Forces operators. Um, so, and, and going into it, I, I wanted to work with athletes. My goal was within 10 years to make it to the big leagues, uh, major league baseball. And that was always a dream of mine. And then here I was like, oh man, I'm gonna work with military. Like I really have to think about, consider, you know, uh, the tactical, uh, tactical athlete and what are things they're working and what's the work that they do. Um, and, you know, at first I thought that they would, you know, staunchly oppose it and they didn't. They were so welcoming, so mm -hmm. accepting, um, you know, loved everything we did. Um, we did a lot of workshops, you know, it could be like a one day all the way to a two week workshop um, where there is a lot of discussion and interaction, you know, covering uh, five mental skills, um, positive, effective thinking, goal setting, uh, energy management, attention control, and imagery. Um, and there's also some foundational pieces. We integrated bio neurofeedback um, as well. And we had a kinesthetic lab. Um, so this was a, a, that acquisition piece, like let's take the information, let's use it in a real, you know, in a, uh, a way that will get us a step closer to applying it. And then we also went out in the field. I was mostly out in the field doing the training. Um, and what that allowed me to do was to try out the mental skills in their world and see how they worked. You know, obviously it was from my perspective, my experience. Um, but I worked with uh, a lot of different populations or MOSs in the military, everything from family readiness group to snipers was a big population that I worked with. Um, in fact, uh, I took a sniper team 
to an international sniper competition uh, with a, a buddy and colleague of mine, Dr. Dave Rashuti, 11 days, Fort Benning. And I got to be the mental coach. Uh, and it was I mean, unreal experience. Uh, and what we tried to do was um, like tailor, you know, the material that we're, we're doing. A lot of times, uh, you know, I would be like in a shoot house and uh, they would be doing like a battle drill six where they're, they're about to enter a building. They blow the door and they'd come in and we had, uh, you know, biofeedback mechanisms that connected to their ear and, and we get some information that way. We had, you know, uh, uh, heat seeking cameras that would pick up the, the, and the detection of rounds and where they hit and give them a percentage. Uh, we had uh, large screens where you could shoot through it and, it, you know, the, the screen would seal up. And then um, also uh, we could, you know, put on avatars, like almost video games, life sizes of like 101 different sequences, and they could operate, you know, based on and change their strategy based on what they're dealing with, you know, enemy from the left, enemy mm -hmm. from the right, uh, surrendering, engaging, taking a hostage. Um, and so the work that we're doing was great because it was the education. Once again, it was acquisition. So before they blew up the door, it's, we're having like a 10, 15 minute conversation on um, amping up or amping down. Like, which one do you need to do mm. to be able to get yourself into that, you know, uh, that calm, alert, sweet spot of mental performance? Um, and then, uh, and then we're also in the field as, as well. So I, I love that because there's, I like being in the classroom. I like, you know, creating, um, uh, you know, kind of games and exercises in the moment that we can that we can do, so they get a real understanding and gist of the info. And then let's talk about applying it, you know, in at the shooting range or potentially in combat. Wow! Yeah, just fascinating, and I and I can imagine what a unique population to be working with, and. I, kind of surprised to hear about their receptivity to it. Yeah. You know, I think there's such a, um, I mean, you know, there's this, this kind of like trope about that kind of hyper-masculinity in the military, not just the military, but lots of sports too. Um, and, and like, along with that is the sense of, you know, there's something about kind of the psychology of it, the mental skills, the emotional pieces of it. They're just too soft and fuzzy. Right. Um, but to, to, to actually have a conversation like with a group of snipers about like, how are you feeling in this moment? And like, you know, and maybe you had to tailor that. And I'm, I'd be curious <laughs> to hear like, how did you take some of these concepts? And I don't know if you, how much of the mindfulness stuff you got into with them, but you know, when you get to, at least in my experience, you know, when I'm talking to athletes about arousal and, and like connecting that to like, well, it's, you know, how you might talk to yourself, which of course is connected to self-compassion. It's like, I can't imagine talking to a sniper, sniper about self-compassion, self right? So it's like, yeah, how did, you, how did you frame this stuff to make it so palatable? Yeah, good question. Um, you know, I, I think some of it came from, because originally like going into that population and just kind of parachuting in, um, you know, and sometimes speaking and addressing like 300 people, I had to figure out a way to be authentic, but also... Um, being an authority, mm -hmm. um, you know, being um, establishing myself as, uh, you know, an expert. And so what I would use is uh, I was like, man, when I was coaching baseball at high school and university, 
uh, and beyond. Um, just that persona, I took on that persona um, in some at some times, and it it allowed me to really calm down to access that information and deliver it. And then to just being you know authentic and genuine and and funny and disarming them and having serious conversations. Um, you know, if someone was you know not into it, I I dig in yeah. and I push back a little bit. And what I found was those biggest um, you know, proponents of not proponents, but the, the, the people who push back the most after that conversation tend to be singing its praises and going out with the megaphone and preaching, you know, the gospel of mental skills. So I, I think that, and then the other thing is, um, letting them see me go out and shoot and go out and do a three-day training event and, mm. and be able to hack it. And, go out with a 40 pound pack um, and, you know, hump it for 12 miles. And, uh, and I mean, I would, I'd bring it you know, yeah. as well. and they love that as well. But the, the thing that surprised me too, is I, I would love to share this story is uh, I was working, it was one of my first workshops and I was um, asking them like, what is, you know, a quality or trait that really exemplifies and defi- defines you know, special forces, like, um, and I was flabbergasted. I was just floored what they said, almost in unison. They said love. <laughs> so you wouldn't expect to hear wow. that. I was, I was like ready to hear some badass, yeah. you know, like, uh, but love. And, and that's what, you know, that's mm-hmm. combat motivation. That's what they're fighting for. That's the, the strength of the in, interconnectivity of those guys being in, combat and fighting for each other. You know, you got to be you know, uh, loving the person on your left and loving your person on the right. And so um, a lot of it was them too. It really was. I just think when we went in you talk about judgment, you know, yeah. we come in with these expectations and um, they're not there, but if you operate from them, then you're probably going to try to be something you're not Yeah. Um, and overdo it and oversell it. And that's, the people who got in the field that, um, you know, there was some uh, real feelings of phoniness maybe that we all go through and they weren't catching it. They weren't being mindful of it. And then they were overcompensating and it yeah. just turned out that great. Yeah. yeah. Well, it goes back to that humility piece. I think, you know, it, it reminds me a lot of the, um, you know, just some of what's written there about the ethics of, working in these populations, military populations, sport population, because there are, you know, unique factors when you're working with these insular populations. And, um, and yet it requires us to be a little more flexible in our role. I mean, traditional consultant or, or therapist is particularly if you're a therapist, right? All of the boundaries around relationships and how you want to preserve those boundaries. And it's like, no, 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 I don't go grab your water. I'm your therapist. I talk to you about your feelings. Right. But it's like, no, when you're, when you're working with these kinds of teams, these kinds of units, these groups of people where everyone pitches in, like you can't be too good to go pick up the water, um, to show them that you're there and involved and like part, part of the team that you have your own investment there, uh, I think is so, so powerful. Um, and it sounds like the, the soldiers you worked with really, really responded to that. Yeah, no, they absolutely did. And, uh, just some of the the greatest relationships I've ever had, um, especially coming from uh, the Bay Area, where you know there's a contrast. We're a little bit hippie, 
um, <laughs> but we're also a little bit gangster too. So you know, you got this like uh, middle finger to authority, but also you know, peace and love for everybody. So like going <laughs> into the military setting, like I had to really uh, deal with some of that. I had to yeah. do my own personal work to set the conditions to be, um, you know, good at what I did. Well, you used a word in there too, authentic, right? And, and I think that's another idea, just going back, we talk about the instructor training a little bit that we do, how being able to maybe shed traditional ideas of what it means to be a leader, right? Or to be a teacher and to have to show up a certain way. And to, I need the respect of these people. I need them to like me. I need, you know, some kind of outcome or some kind of result. And, and being able to just kind of be in the experience with them, right? And, and I think about that as a common thread in what you're talking about today, whether in the classroom or out in the field with these folks, that um, it sounds like something you've done really well and, and something we've certainly seen, you know, be a characteristic of an effective mindfulness leader is, is being comfortable with that, right? Uh, of taking some of these risks and like I... I can't imagine that was super comfortable for you to throw a, a heavy pack on and have to go for a 12 mile. I don't know if it was a run or, or a walk or, you know, what, how, how fast you were moving, but there's a risk there, right. And that, that you are willing to take because of that authenticity and wanting to show up in, in the way that you're describing. Um, and I know that's not exclusive to mindfulness or this world of mindfulness, but I feel like that is a piece of, of what we do in, in being a mindfulness instructor. Right. Absolutely. And then kind of circling back, you know, to the uh, meditation experience, like that came out of uh, that activity that we collectively did and participated in. And that is like, you can't force this. Yeah. <laughs> you, it, it's when, and you guys know, I, I list, I do so much of my uh, personal work and meditation. Mm -hmm. I mean, a, a ton. I think I'm getting like, I'm trying to reach about 500 hours a year, a year. Um, oh, wow. And so you listen to a lot of different mindfulness scripts and it's hard, you know, cause we're, we're dealing with this. We have our, our mindfulness mind, but we also have, you know, that uh, expert mind. And sometimes within three seconds, I can just be like, Nope, not even going to try it. Like, which is a terrible attitude to have, <laughs> but you know, you know what? So sometimes I'll just go through it and allow myself to just, you know, experience what I need to experience the ups and downs and psychological roller coaster. But sometimes I don't have the time and I just like, no, that's, I know that's not going to work for me. And so yeah. what, uh, what I want them, the place I want them to get to is writing their own scripts because they have more skin in the game and you learn so much. And when you're reading something, I don't think it really works. It doesn't come across. Like you can hear it's very robotic and mechanical. Um, so uh, one of the things that came out of it, I don't know how you guys do this, but I do have like a, uh, an idea, a theme. Um, and then, like I said, there's the entering, right? Like getting ready. There's the connecting with the breath. There's the bulk of the work that you're going to do, the practicing, whether it's awareness of breath or whether it's, um, you know, uh, clean, cleansing the chakras or whether it's, you know, visualization or, uh, you know, uh, mindfulness of sensation, whatever it is. And then there's a, a coming out phase. Um, so you can have that framework. Um, but I noticed there's a shift in students when you have that framework and you're kind of uh, just using it as a reference. 
but then you're also there with them, you know, uh, moving along, you know, meditating with them in a way, and you have space open enough to just uh, modify it in the moment and change it and adapt it. Now you're not reading it. You're just getting, you know, you're getting some cues um, and you're tapping in and you're there with, and it just comes off so much better. And people know, mm-hmm. people know, and it's important, you know, uh, you know, for mind, mindfulness and meditation teachers, like to, you know, to live it. It really is. I've I listened to a couple podcasts, you know, uh, and I know you guys have had that conversation about, you know, being authentic and, and not reading it and um, being a practitioner. Yeah. You have to be a practitioner to do this kind of work. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's a, a great note to end on. We unfortunately do have to wrap <laughs> up, but this has been so interesting. Thank you yeah. so much again, Michael, for leading us in that practice. And thanks again to your students yes. for, for their yeah. role in that and to hear um, you know, your views and, and hear about your work. It's, it's been great. Um, and I know this was only a short time that you spent with us. So um, if you want to let people know if they want to uh, learn more about you or, or more about your work, um, any ways that they can get in touch or, or read more about what you've done? Yeah, I think the best route right now is to just email me, whatever it is, if, you know, a partnership, a question, some work, you know, uh, more information about, you know, National University, uh, please contact me um, at uh, M as in mindfulness, uh, Gerson, G-E-R-S-O-N at nu.edu. And I'd love to, to connect and talk about the wonderful world of now and this beautiful space that we're so lucky to be in. Well, thank you. Yeah. Um, and anyone who wants to connect with, with us, with the MSP Institute, there's lots of ways you can do that. Um, we do have a website, which is at www.mindfulsportperformance.org. Um, we also have an MSPE Facebook page. Uh, for our podcast, we have uh, an Instagram account, and you can follow us at, at mindful underscore sport underscore podcast, um, as well as a YouTube channel where we post all of our meditations that begin our episodes. So um, with Michael's blessing, we will post what, what he led on our YouTube channel and, and check that out, especially if you're looking to build a practice library. Yes. Um, you're welcome to connect with me, Dr. Keith Kaufman on Twitter. My handle is at mindful sport doc. Um, and quickly just want to put in uh, a plug, I'm trying to get better at doing this. Um, mm-hmm. For our book, we mentioned, uh, you know, our, our MSPE work. Uh, we have a book, Mindful Sport Performance Enhancement, Mental Training for Athletes and Coaches. Um, if you'd like to read more about our MSPE program, and we very much welcome reviews of our book, reviews of our podcast, uh, try to spread the word around about, about the different resources we offer. So um, please don't be shy about that. Um, And we also just want to take a quick moment and thank our colleague, Dr. Carol Glass. Uh, I know we thanked her a little bit at the beginning, but Mm -hmm. to thank her at the end as well for all of her support uh, for the podcast behind the scenes and our wonderful producer, Taylor Brown of EnduroMind for everything he does for us. Um, So thank you to Michael again for joining us. Thank you to everyone who listened and we will see you next time. Thank you, everybody.